Hey, good morning, everybody. How y'all doing? Well, today, as Pastor Landon mentioned, we're going to finish our uh, last message in the series called Letter from Lockdown. We've been taking a look at the book of Philippians, uh, making a few stops along the way. And uh, man, uh, this book is full of some of the greatest scriptures in the New Testament. I have had a ton of fun uh, studying and um, not only have I had fun, man, I've been so humbled and so incredibly challenged. I don't know about you, uh, as I've looked at some of these words that Paul gave to us today. Uh, if you miss any part of this series, you can check it out online, and especially last week's message. My wife did an incredible job, and uh, man, she, uh, she is one, uh, an incredible speaker, and um, it is one of her greatest gifts, not just leading worship, uh, but communicating the word. Let's pray today. God, we love you, and we thank you for who you are. We thank you for your written word as we come into it today and, and read it. Uh, God, we already know before we get started that it is going to reveal the hope of the world to us, that we know that it's going to lift us up and encourage our soul, and so we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. As we move into uh, chapter four today, uh, let's make sure to keep this entire letter uh, in mind, this entire letter in context. We remember in chapter one, Paul was encouraging the church and he was telling them, hey, there's some joy to be discovered uh, as you remain thankful and prayerful in the midst of your hardship. Uh, you're missing out in a certain amount of joy uh, when you don't look for it in difficult places. Um, we see in chapter two, the kind of central theme of the entire book where Paul encourages the church to pour themselves out so that the only thing left to pour when we pour is just Jesus, that we completely rid ourselves of ourselves. It is the great chapter on humility and Christ leads the way in that. And then finally, this uh, last week, Chris uh, talked about a few things that Paul mentioned about, um, and, 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 and all things, Paul, Paul said, hey, I'm going to make sure to leave behind my misplaced confidence in this world. I can't place any confidence in this world. I can't stand on any of the things that the world gives me to stand on. And Paul says, I press forward and I, and I, and I move towards suffering. He says, I'm not just chasing after the power of God, but I'm going to participate in the fellowship of his suffering. So Paul is saying, I'm not going to avoid suffering. And I don't know about you. I told somebody this week, I kind of live my life being, uh, I, I am suffering avoidant. I don't know about you, but I mean, I, I plan my days so that I can eat, so that I don't have to suffer hunger. I plan my days in Texas so that I have to get in the air condition as quick as possible so that I don't have to suffer. I, I mean, my entire life is planned around uh, the idea of me not suffering, and that's really not the call of the gospel. And finally, we see Paul's challenge here. He says, hey, remember above all else, we live as citizens of heaven. So with all of this in mind, um, here we go. We enter chapter four, and Paul's letter to his beloved friends, the Philippians, a church that was very special to him, he closes this whole letter out with an encouragement. Um, and remember, he's encouraging this persecuted church, this oppressed church that was surrounded by Roman government and Roman rule and uh, religion at an all-time high. So I've titled this message after Paul's final encouragement. And if I could sum up his encouragement, he was simply saying this to the church, 
I want to talk to you about living out the Jesus story. I want to encourage you to not only think about it, to not only read it, but I want you to live it out. I want you to personally experience it. And I want you to live it out and bring it to those around you. So with this, are you ready? Here's what Paul tells us today. The first thing today that we see Paul saying, Paul is saying, if you're going to live out the Jesus story, you must be planted. You must be planted. We see this uh, towards the end of verse one. And by the way, we don't have all the time in the world today to read through all this. So I'm just gonna fly by parts of the chapter and we'll read some of these scriptures. Paul says, be planted. Verse one, it says, stand firm in the Lord. Someone say, stand firm. If you got a little soldier emoji online, just, just pop a little soldier emoji, a little man who's standing firm, a little yellow man who's just like standing like this. He says, stand firm. Paul, what do you mean by standing firm? Paul is saying this. Paul is saying, our foundation be, should be found nowhere else other than Christ. In your notes, Paul is saying, we must personally depend on the gospel for our faith in Jesus. Now, when we're talking about standing firm, we don't misplace our foundation in any other systems of this earth. We don't retreat back to any other messages that we've received in life and on this earth outside of the good news of Jesus. We stand on that foundation. We don't try to mix Jesus with anything else because when we do, we dilute the purity and power of the message of the gospel because it's only this message that can bring salvation to mankind and it is only this message that has the power to change and transform hearts and minds. And so if we have a, another message that's powerless and can't transform and change hearts and minds, why would we wanna preach a message that can't change? The only message that can change is the message of Christ. So Paul says, make sure you're personally standing on this foundation. You know, um, for me, I have known that um, it is really easy to stand up here with a microphone and preach about standing on the foundation of the gospel and being planted. But it's an entire different thing that when the microphone is not in my hand and I'm sitting on the back end of a difficult conversation with a boss, or maybe you're sitting on the back end of a difficult, difficult conversation with a spouse, for you to stand firm in the gospel. You know, this next part of this verse, we're going to skip down to verse number six. So Paul's encouraging the church. He's saying, hey, I want you to stand firm. And, and here's how Paul tells us to stand firm. He says, stand firm in this way. Verse six, stand firm by not being anxious about anything. I don't want you, Paul says, to be distracted by the anxieties of the world. And when Paul wrote this, how many know there were a lot of reasons to be anxious? You, you, you couldn't walk around and, and stand in your faith without being judged by uh, the, the religious system of the day or by the governing system of the Roman rule of the day. And Paul said, I want you to not be anxious at all. I mean, how many know that's a tall order? And just as it was difficult then, it is equally difficult today to stand firm on the gospel and not be anxious about anything. You know, um, personally standing firm on the gospel when no one else is around, do we do that? Is that your first source of encouragement when you're feeling anxious? 
Do you run back to your foundation when you're anxious, when you're concerned, or when you're worried, when things aren't right in the marriage or the family or the job or the cultural environment? Is the first place you run back to, is it your firm foundation? You know, Paul was saying to this Philippian church, he said, don't be concerned about your standing with public. Don't be concerned with your standing among your family. Don't, don't be swayed. And no matter how anxious you may feel because of what society thinks about you or your family thinks about you, don't get anxious. Just stand firm on the gospel. Would you let Paul encourage you today, church? Don't be anxious about anything. Don't let this world or your relationship with it define your worth because it will try. There's only one person that has the power to define your worth, and his name is Jesus. The truth is that we have no worth apart from him. I've discovered that every day I fight a battle, and the battle I fight every day is misplaced righteousness and justification. Every day, every interaction I have with people, whether it's Pastor Landon or one staff member or another staff member or my wife or my daughter, and, and I discipline my daughter and my, my wife's giving me the evil eye, like I immediately am like, I need righteousness right here. I need my, my wife to know that I was right in that, and I, and I try to convince her of my rightness, and I, and I, want, I want to be right with her. But I have found that one of my number one everyday battles is misplacing who gives me rightness and justification. And it's not my wife, and it's not Landon, and it's not, in fact, my boss, but in fact, it's Jesus Christ because I have no righteousness or justification apart from him. He, in fact, believed that his righteousness and justification was so good that he died to give it to us. The question for us today that Paul is asking us, are we standing firm in the gospel? Paul continues on in verse six and he instructs us what to do with our anxieties. So when we are anxious, what do we do with them? Because he knows it's a real human emotion. How many have been anxious lately? It's just, it's just light, right? You walk through life and you're anxious and Jesus knew that, so he led Paul to write this. He says, so stand firm, but when you do experience um, anxieties of this world, here's what I want you to do. Be prayerful. And that's what Paul says, church, be prayerful. The Bible says this in the next part of this verse. Paul says, don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, somebody say every. By prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. When we're anxious, we pray. Come on, somebody. How many know that's pretty simple? And that's some really simple good news right there. I mean, when all of the earth is in my mind crashing around me and, and, I'm, and I'm anxious about different things than you are and you're anxious about different things than I am. But when our worlds are anxious and everything is crashing around, we don't need 10 steps, we need one. And it's Jesus and it's prayer and it's leaning on him. And that's what Paul is saying. Paul is saying, here's some really good news. It's so simple. When you're anxious, just pray. And this is so much like the same way he opened Philippians chapter one. He's saying, hey guys, look around and pray and be thankful. Here's the good news for the church. When the pressures of this world are turned up, and how many of you know that the Bible says that in the end times of this world, the pressures get turned up? Yeah. 
And as the pressure gets turned up, your anxieties are going to get turned up. But here's the good news. We don't have to freak out with the world. We can stay at peace in Christ. We can turn to prayer. And how many of you know that when the pressure is turned up and we take a look at the book of Acts, the church thrives when the pressure is turned up. How many know that? The Bible says that as we look at the Bible, we can see that some of the greatest times of persecution, the church exploded the most. If you look around in our world right now, some of the places in our world that are the most persecuted, the gospel is advancing the most in those places. So we should not fear the anxieties of persecution and the anxieties of pressure. We should pray. And we should relax in Christ. Paul says, hey guys, when you're anxious, just pray. Pray, bring your petitions before God, bring your anxieties before him. And when you're done, and go ahead and admit it, admit all the fear, admit everything that's going on. And when you're done, thank him. Somebody say thank him. When you're done thanking him, it sounds like this. God, no matter what I see around me, I thank you that you are the great provider. I thank you, God, that when, when I'm trying my best to help communicate the gospel and help share the love of Christ and I see that my words are failing, I thank you that you're at work when I am not. I thank you that I'm not in charge of transforming and changing hearts and minds because I'm really not good at it. But I see when I look around, you're really good at it. And I rest in your gospel message that you can do what I cannot do. We've got to let our fears and anxieties remind us that we just got to turn to prayer. Remind us where our foundation is. In your notes, we must acknowledge the suffering around us to acknowledge the sustaining power in us. Look, we would have no need for sustaining power we would have no need for the peace of Christ if it could be offered in the world. Here's a question I have for us today. In the midst of our anxieties, are we prayerful? Do we bring our requests to God? And then when we're done, do we thank him that he is all powerful and that he is in control? The next thing that Paul encourages the church as he's saying, live out the Jesus story. He says this, he says, be planted, be prayerful. And next he says, be peaceful. Somebody say peaceful. We're gonna to come to verse number seven. Let's look at verse seven. When we're planted, when we're prayerful, the Bible says this, and, and is a connecting word. So in connection with being planted and being prayerful, and when we do this, the peace of God that transcends all understanding will guard our hearts and mind in Christ Jesus. This is the same sentiment that Paul said at the openings of chapter one when he opened it all up and he said, grace and peace to you. How many of you know that you cannot experience the peace of God without experiencing the grace of God first? We need salvation to experience his peace. We need the grace of God to experience peace. In your notes, we must experience the grace of God to experience the peace of God. Why? Because according to the scripture, there is no transcending, there is no uh, sustaining peace without his amazing grace. It's impossible. There is, that's why when Jesus came into the world, there was a great, great declaration. Peace is here. I bring you peace. We sing him in all our Christmas songs. I just want to remind I bring you peace. Jesus is peace. There's no peace without him. There is no transcending peace between you and the Father without Christ. There's no transcending peace between you and your brother and those you're in opposition with without the grace of God at work with us. 
I want to define this word peace a little bit, and I've done it several times, but I love it so much, I'm going to do it again. The original word here for peace is the word uh, hupercheo, and whether I'm saying it right or wrong, it doesn't matter. Um, I didn't listen to the YouVersion Bible app and hit play um, and get them to help me to understand and how to say words right, but um, we'll just say hupercheo. How's that sound? But here's what this word means. It means uh, to go above and beyond It means to um, go above and beyond not just anything, but Paul says transcend our what? Go above and beyond our what? Our understanding. And when you encounter things in life in this world that you don't understand, there's one answer for that, transcending peace. God helping you to see the world the way he sees the world. I wanna give you another word picture. Another word picture for this word transcendent would be the word climb over. Climb over your thinking. Climb over your ability to endure. Climb over your own ability to suffer. Climb over your own ability to suffer anxiety. Climb over your ability to see. Climb over your ability to love others well. That's what this word is saying to us. And how many know that we could use a little more of that? Thank you for some good amens over here on the right side. Can, can, somebody, can somebody say amen with my friend today? That's what transcending peace is. It's climbing over you. It's climbing over yourself. In the midst of our anxieties, as we experience the effects of sin on this world, because you're gonna do it everywhere you go, you're gonna see and experience the effects of sin. We stand on the gospel, we pray, and when we're rooted right there in that place, the peace of God has the opportunity to climb over the way you think so that your anxieties don't lead you so that your fears don't lead you, but his peace and rest does. Transcending peace moves us from earthly thinking to heavenly thinking. Transcending peace moves you out of your natural mind into your spiritual mind, which is the mind of Christ. Instead of passively waiting for another day to enter heaven, you enter heaven now through his transcending mind. We don't have to wait till we get to heaven to know everything that the Father thinks. We just live and move here and now and let his transcending peace climb over us. How many could use a little transcending peace? How many would like to see Jesus the way he's seeing the world right now? And if you're online right now, why don't you just find a little peace emoji and just find a little man and just drop him in the comments right there. We're gonna continue to read verse number eight. Paul is encouraging us to live out the Jesus story. He says, be planted, be prayerful, be at peace. Next, he says, in that place, be perceptive. Verse eight, finally, brothers and sisters, be perceptive. Whatever is true, lovely, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, praiseworthy, think on these things. So because you and I don't always think the way the Lord thinks, we often miss these things. When we see things, we go, this is terrible. This is awful. We're going to hell in a handbasket. Oh, no. But if we're standing firm and we're prayerful and we're at peace and we're perceptive and we have the mind of Christ and we look around and we can see the nobility of Christ at work. We can see his righteousness moving in places and we can see his rightness transforming hearts and minds and we can see something that others would look at and say ugly and go, no, when he looks at that thing, he sees it as redeemable. And when we look at the world with that perspective, 
With the mind of Christ, we see things different. And Paul says, be spiritually perceptive at all times. See everything the way Christ see things, sees things. There's no other way to see it. For those that are us in Christ, we have his mind. That's the mind we're supposed to have. That's how he wants us to see. That's how he wants us to think. That's how he wants us to feel. That's how he wants us to act. That's how he wants us to respond. This is a tall order, right? This is a tall order, Paul. This is a big deal. Because every day I see how different I see the world from how Christ, see the world. Christ sees the world. I see how different I am from him in, in, in my unrenewed mind. Things can look unredeemable when we don't look at the world through the mind of Christ. When we're stuck with our own natural mind and we're not seeing the world through this space of transcending peace, we usually miss it. When we do, God can flip the narrative and remind you that everything is redeemable in Christ and nothing is redeemable outside of him. Jesus believed this so much that he died to show us. Having the perspective of heaven is the call for all believers to live in a state of constant God-conscious thinking, thinking constantly. And the only way we can do that is through transcending peace. We must let go of our self-consciousness and become God-conscious. This kind of reminds us of chapter two as, as chapter two, as we remember, this was the, the entire heartbeat theme of this entire book. It was, it was the, 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 uh, the uh, scholars call it the pouring out message. It is the message of humility, pouring out of everything me so that the only thing left when I pour is Christ. So we've got to let go and pour out of everything self-conscious and be completely God-conscious. What is your perspective? What is your perception as you look around this world? Are you seeing it through the mind of Christ? Are you seeing it through God consciousness? Or are you seeing it through self-consciousness? Paul gives us this next encouragement and how we're to live out the Jesus story. He says, if you're gonna live out the Jesus story, I want you to make sure that you have a solid foundation, that you're prayerful, that you're at peace, and that your perspective is right. And then when all that is said and that's right, I want you to be a proclaimer, verse nine, he says. Paul's encouragement is to stay steadfast in everything previously that he told them and be a proclaimer. Here's what it says, whatever you have learned in verse nine, it says, whatever you've learned, whatever you receive, whatever you've heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. Be a proclaimer. When you do that, the God of peace will be with you. We must proclaim in word and deed the Jesus story. And we can't proclaim it unless we personally are living it. You will proclaim it to the degree that you live it. It's the same way that forgiveness works. You will give forgiveness the same way you receive forgiveness. And if you walk around feeling condemned, unsure about how forgiven you are in Christ, you will give that same kind of forgiveness. It will be limited. And friend, I want you to know that his mercies are new every morning. He never runs out of grace. He never runs out of love for you. So don't run out of love and grace for others. That wasn't in my notes. It must have been Jesus. 
Let's be God conscious in how we proclaim and live out the Jesus story. Let's make sure that our lives are centered on the gospel message. Let's make sure that we are centered on gospel conscious thinking, that we see things and we look for things and we declare things that are true, noble, right, love, pure, praiseworthy, that when we look around with our eyes that we see that all things are redeemable. Here is the great promise As we end this encouragement in verse number eight and we live in Christ in this way, it says, and the peace of God will be with you. Now, how many of you know the peace of God is with us the day that we give our heart to Christ? It's just, it's because he is with us. He is here. That's why peace is here. But Paul is saying, I wanna make sure that that you're not just, don't have some theology that peace is with you, but I wanna make sure that you are living and actively participating in Christ in a way that you are experiencing peace in your everyday life. Here's the question for for us today. Are we proclaiming the Jesus story in word and in deed? Are we proclaiming it with our staff, our spouse, our children, our friends? I gotta tell you, Man, I have been so encouraged this last month. I can't tell you how many conversations with my mom, my brother, Landon, Clay, my wife, my daughter, pastor, my best friend, Tramel, some of you, that we have just talked and we've shared together and we've declared the gospel in the midst of our anxieties. And can I tell you, as we center each other back on the message of the gospel, the encouragement and the hope for this world is through the roof. It is unbelievable. We're talking about living out the Jesus story. Finally today, Paul says this. Paul says, lastly, as we do all these things we've discussed today, he says, be a pitcher. Not a baseball pitcher. Be a pitcher. Verse 19, he he brings it all back again, refocusing us on the central theme. He says, and my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. The most fearful thing about being a pitcher and pouring yourself out is wondering, will I have anything left when I'm done pouring? The same way, Paul is saying, that he has met my need in declaring and living out the gospel, he will meet your need. So Paul says with lots of confidence, I charge you and I challenge you to pour yourself out. In your notes, we must pour ourselves out. He will prove himself as our provider. You know, so many people, and I've done it, taking this scripture out of context, and I just kind of made it like a nice little Christian thing that I just love to say all the time. And I remember um, one time I was doing something silly, and I couldn't, I couldn't accomplish it. And I was like, I was like, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And that's really not the, the intent or the sentiment of the scripture at all. We don't get to like grab this and attach it to our own wills and our own desires and our own silly efforts of life. That's not what Paul's talking about. Paul's talking about living out the gospel in such a way that causes you to pour you out, living a life of humility, embracing suffering, embracing the life of Christ, standing firm in Christ. And when we do that, God promises us to continue to fill us and to supply us with all that we need. And how many of you know that the only thing we need is Jesus? So the encouragement by Paul is, he's saying this, The Father makes sure that you will always have enough Jesus when you pour out. You will never be empty. 
We're talking about living out the gospel story. What a what an incredible way for Paul to wrap up this letter to the church. And he wraps it up really well. He just brings every part of the letter and he brings it down to this final encouragement. Live out the Jesus story. Paul is saying, stay planted on the gospel. Don't plant on anything else. Nothing else has a sure foundation like the gospel. And when you're planted on the gospel, when you look around and maybe you're tempted to be planted on something else and it's scary and it's shifty and you feel the anxiety of that, make sure that when you feel that anxiety, pray and put your foot back on the foundation. And when you do, he promises that there will be a transcending peace that will go beyond your mind. And instead of judging, you will love. Instead of being hateful, you will be kind. Instead of condemning, you will share the love of Christ. That's what the gospel does. And it will give you a perspective on how to see the world and you will never live a day on this earth without hope. In the most awful circumstances, in the most persecuted places of the world, no matter where you go, you will see redeeming hope. And then he says, proclaim the gospel story to those so they can have the same hope as you. And pour yourself out. Spend your life doing this over and over and over and over. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes today? I want you to know today, if you're in this room, that, it, that a journey in Christ, a journey with Christ, calling yourself a Christian, it all begins with accepting this radical message of the gospel. I want you to know that some people say, I started my relationship with Jesus today. You may have, but he started his relationship with you the day you were born. And he's been chasing you. He's been pursuing you. He's been radically trying to show you his love and his acceptance for you. And and you have spent your entire life as you maybe look back throughout your history and you could see his, his love and his presence along the entire way trying to convince you of his goodness and his kindness and his grace for you. So I want you to know that maybe you haven't committed to him but he committed to you 2,000 years ago when he died on the cross for you. He looked at you and he saw everything that you were gonna do, lovely and unlovely, and he said, you are redeemable. No matter how many times you embarrass yourself, hurt yourself, hurt others, bring pain to others, cause death, cause separation, the most ugly and vile sins of this planet, no matter what you have done or what you participated in, he sees you and says, I see something about you that is redeemable and I died for you so that I can have a relationship with you. And here's what Jesus says to you and the rest of us today in Matthew eleven twenty-eight. He says, are you tired and worn out? If you're tired and worn out and you're a believer, it may be because you're trying to stand somewhere other than the gospel. He says, are you tired and worn out? Are you burned out on religion, the systems of this world, politics? Jesus says this to you, church. Come to me. Get away with me. And I'll recover your life. All 
all the anxiety, all the peace you thought you lost, I'll recover it for you. I'm gonna bring it all back to you. I'll show you how to take a real rest, he says. Walk with me. Work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you will learn to live freely and lightly.